0: Thank you. Hey, you guys are really sweet. I missed you guys. Wow, you guys are sweet. I love you guys. You guys love Jesus, huh? You guys are like... You guys are crazy. That's cool. You guys love the Lord. I like that. (laughs) That's awesome. I really did miss you guys. It's good to be back. We had a great vacation, just a wonderful family vacation. My wife and I, our son Isaiah, our daughter Daisy, and my mom and dad, uh, just up in the mountains for a few days. And it was just a sweet time, just floating down rivers and swimming in lakes and trout fishing and picnicking and just basic stuff like that. Really good. Great times with the Lord. And I just got to sit around for hours at a time and, and study the Bible and It was fun. It was really good. So I'm feeling really refreshed, but really excited to be back with you guys. And um, uh, Pastor G, you know, his wife, April. uh, Beautiful family. Pastor G, his wife, April. And they have a daughter, Natalie, who I think is about nine. And Michaela is about seven. And Mercy is about four. And little Judah is uh, just a year old. Four kids. And... uh, uh, unfortunately, a couple of days ago, um, April, Gerald's wife, her mom went home to be with the Lord and uh, she'd been sick for some time and, and had just recently had a bad car accident and just was not able to recover. Just so many complications with her health, but she loved Jesus. She really loved the Lord and yeah, praise the Lord. You know, it says in um, First Thessalonians that, that we don't mourn in the way that those mourn who have no hope. We mourn in a different way because we have hope. And uh, April and the family and the grandkids, they know they're going to see grandma again in heaven. And it's just a tough time for that family. And so you just want to join me in praying for them right now? We just thank you. Lord, we thank You that Phyllis was her name. We thank You that she knew You in this lifetime. Thank You for saving her. Thank You that she is with You in glory. That right now her eyes behold the King upon the throne. That her ears hear the sounds of heaven. That she is rejoicing, standing before the throne blameless. Thank You, Lord. That is glorious to be in glory. Thank You for that truth, Lord. And um, we just stand alongside the Torres family right now and especially April and Phyllis's husband Scott we just thank you that God you are the God of all comfort the God of all comfort and we ask that you would comfort them supernaturally that you'd give them peace that surpasses comprehension Lord joy in the midst of it all and continue to just increase their faith Lord we just pray for the little grandkids that you'd give them hope that only they could have as little Christian kids and so we just pray comfort for the family right now and grace and all the details and just overflowing blessings of your presence with them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Amen, thanks for praying for them. Jim and Sarah Hipple, where are you? Jim and Sarah Hipple, where are you guys? Okay, stand up, you beautiful, cute people. Stand up. Jim and Sarah hippel they've got a beautiful family as well, three daughters, and they have been at this church since the very beginning, and they are celebrating this week their 29th wedding anniversary this week. And they have been dating for 35 years, 35 years dating. But you know what? That's an awesome testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ in this day and age. That's a wonderful thing. And so we ought to celebrate that. And you know what? Let's pray for them. If you're around them, lay hands on them. And if you're not around them, run over there, lay a couple of hands on them. If you're sort of close and let's thank the Lord for that marriage and ask him to bless it. Lord, we just thank you for Jim and Sarah Hippo and their daughters. What an awesome family. What a blessing they are to uh, our community, to the bride of Christ here in Carpinteria and the coastlands. And we just thank you for them, Lord. And we thank you for the marriage for 29 years. Lord, we know there's been hard times, but you've been faithful through it all. Sure. There were times that they probably even wanted to give up, but look at you, Lord, you're a faithful God. And they committed themselves to a faithful creator and they are in love with you and one another today. And we thank you for that, Lord. We ask that the next 29 years would be better than the first 29 years. We ask that you would renew and refresh their love for one another Lord that you'd bless their intimacy and their communication that it would be unfettered and clear and that peace would rule and reign in their hearts that you would continue to anoint Jim to lead that family and for Sarah to be the awesome mom and wife that she is Lord we stand beside them and say thank you for this marriage continue to preserve and bless it Lord we ask it in Jesus name amen amen That's cool. There's another family in our church, um, and none of them could be here tonight. Some of the kids are kind of sick and stuff, but they have a 17-year-old son named Jordan. And Jordan has an unusual uh, condition in his neck. Uh, His neck never really formed right, and so the vertebrae are just kind of floating back and forth, and uh, his spinal cord at one time has almost been severed because of that. And as of late, it's gotten really, really bad, really, really bad. And so he's facing a very serious surgery and he's in a lot of pain. He couldn't be here tonight. And he sent his dad down here to say, please go tell Pastor Britt to ask the church to pray that God would heal me. I think God wants to heal me. So his name is Jordan. He's 17. Let's agree in prayer. Lord, we bring Jordan before you and we thank you for his faith. We thank you that at 17 years of age, he knows you and he's calling upon you, that he's trusting you. You are Jehovah Rapha, our God who heals and you are able, you're able to do what doctors could never do. You're able to do exceedingly beyond anything that we could ever think or medical science could ever dream up, Lord. We believe you. And we have faith together with Jordan and ask that you would heal him, Lord. That you would set straight his spine and everything that is just wrong there. We don't know what it is. You know what it is, Lord. And so we bring him before the throne of grace and we ask comfort for his parents and his siblings. But we ask that you would just begin, even at this moment as he's at home, strengthen his neck, set it right, Lord. Make it whole as you created it to be. Lord, we ask that you do it just because you're merciful. Just because you're compassionate, because you're kind, and because you are able, we ask it according to the account and the authority and the name and the love and the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Another family in our church, all these prayer requests were handed to me just as I was coming up here, and uh, this is awesome. Another family in our church who uh, has a cousin, his name is Josh, 17 years old. Actually, they have a cousin who has a friend named Josh. Josh. 17 years old, was just in a car accident in Northern California, and his spinal cord was partially severed. He's going into surgery, but they don't know for sure if he will be paralyzed or not. And uh, they've asked that we would pray for healing as well and for his family. Let's do it. His name is Josh. Lord, what a wonderful privilege that we can bring these young men, two 17-year-olds, before your throne of grace tonight. Thank you for it, Lord. We just usher them in. We just bring them just as the four men tore the roof off of that house that you were in and they lowered down the paralytic. They believed, God, that you were able to heal. We just tear the roof off by faith and we bring Josh and Jordan before you, believing that you're able to heal. Lord, you're able to do what we cannot do. We trust you and we believe you. And so we ask for supernatural healing upon Josh, Lord. Whether you choose to do it through doctors or just sovereignly right now at this moment, We ask that you would heal, Lord. And as he's going into surgery, that you would guide the surgeon's hands and it would be unbelievable that their minds would be blown at the miracle working power of God, your hand upon Josh, Lord. We ask for comfort for his friends and for his family. And Lord, with him and Jordan, we ask that you would just get all the glory. That you would get all the glory, Lord, that you would be exalted and people would speak the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We've got a little baby now we're going to pray for. I think we have a picture. His name is Judson. And just two years old, beautiful little guy. And this family's in Southern California, but they're very attached to a family here in our church. And the, the child has been healthy up until May. And then he's got a condition. I'm sorry, I cannot remember the name, nor could the people tell me the story quite pronounce it. It's, it's a condition where something happens with a separation in the brain. And May, he started going blind. And uh, shortly after that, he started stumbling and falling. And now he can't, he can't even eat. He's losing all his motor skills. And um, the doctor says that there's only one thing that happens when you have this condition. You die. It's just going that way. There's just nothing medical science could do. And so they've got a church in Southern California that all this weekend are going to be fasting and praying. But they've asked that we would pray as well. They know we love to come before the throne of grace, so let's pray. Lord, we bring Judson before you. You love him, Lord. You made him. You formed him in his mother's womb. And these sort of things, we just confess we don't understand. We don't get it, but we trust you still. We know that you're a good God, that you're a great and awesome God. And so we bring little Judson before the throne of grace and we beg together, hundreds of us here, we beg together that Lord, you would heal him, that you would just have mercy. The doctors say there's no hope, but we hope in Jesus Christ. We know the great physician and the king of the universe. We know the one that made the molecules and the atoms that have been put together to form Jordan. And we're asking now that King Jesus, you would set right those molecules and those atoms and everything in his brain, Lord, in his little mind, that you would cause it to come together. That you would do what you've done before. You've raised people from the dead. You've caused the blind to see and the lame to walk. This is nothing for you, Jesus. You are so totally able to do this. And so we just ask because you're kind and you're compassionate. When the widow came with the son, you raised him from the dead. So, Lord, we just ask that you would save this child, that you would heal him, Lord, and we just ask for supernatural comfort for his family, his mom and his dad and everyone else involved, supernatural comfort and great faith, Lord, and great faith for those who would pray and fast this weekend as well. Oh, Lord, where do we have to go with these things but to you? Just come to you, Dad, saying we live in a broken world, would you just fix it for a little bit for us, Lord? As only you can. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That's good to pray, huh? Anybody else need prayer? Yeah, we all need prayer. Join the club, huh? Well, let's open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12 then. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we've just kind of been moving our way through uh, the gifts that are listed here in 1 Corinthians 12, and it's been a sweet time for us on Thursday nights. I think as a church, you know, we've kind of tried some things that we've never tried before, and we've had a a really—I would describe it this way—I would say it's been a really sweet time with the Lord. You know, just a sweet time. His presence is so sweet, and just lingering in the presence of the Lord, having to kick you guys out every week, you know, and it's time to go home and. It's just been cool and we've had some neat prophetic words and we've seen some people get healed and uh, it's been an awesome time. And we just so happen to come to the gift of healing tonight. We're just kind of going through them in order and we'll start reading verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord and there are varieties of effects but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one... Each Christian is given the manifestation of the gift of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom, we talked about that, through the Spirit. To another word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, we talked about that. To another faith, the gift of faith, Pastor G spoke on that last week, by the same Spirit. And to another gifts of healings by one Spirit. So last week with Pastor G you talked about the gift of faith. This week the gift of healing. Next week the next one in line is uh, effecting of miracles or working of powers, and these three gifts together—healing, miracles, and faith—these kind of constitute uh, the power gifts, so to speak. It's where we often see a demonstration of God's miraculous power. And it's neat to think of them in this way, and it's very correct to think of them in this way, as a continuation of Jesus' compassionate ministry to those in need. These gifts, miracles and power and healing, are in the church today as a function, a continuation of Jesus' compassionate ministry. Did you know that 90% of our Lord's ministry was spent healing people? If you break down the Gospels, 90% of his ministry was healing people. In fact, we know that he healed everybody that was brought to him and some people that weren't even brought to him. It's interesting, he didn't heal every malady in Israel, but everyone that was brought to him, he healed. And it's also interesting that Jesus' first instruction to the disciples when he sent them out on a little mini missions trip in Matthew 10, he gave them this order. He said, I want you to preach the good news of the kingdom And I want you to heal the sick. After preaching the gospel, the next thing that was closest to the Lord's heart and most important for the Lord's disciples to engage in was the healing of the sick. And so that reveals to us the fact that Jesus spent 90% of his time here during his ministry on earth. And that the second thing he told his disciples to do was heal people. That reveals to us the heart of the Lord for healing, that he's just, he's just into it. He just loves to do it because he's a compassionate God and it's a manifestation of his compassion and you need to remember that Jesus reveals to us what God is like. He's called the Word of God because he reveals to us what God would have to say and what God thinks. He is the Word of God. He's the very manifestation and exact replication. He is the revelation of God on earth. And when God came to earth, what did he do? He healed people. He healed little kids, he healed old people, he healed middle-aged people, he healed paralytics and blind people and lepers, he healed people. Because at his core, God is a healer. At the core of his identity, God is a healer, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, we read in Exodus 15:26 of the Lord. And the Lord said, "If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer." Exodus 23:25. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle." At the very core of who he is, God is a healer. Made very evident, indisputable by the fact of what Jesus did when he came to earth and what he told his church they ought to be doing when they engaged in his mission. Now a couple of theological points to think about before we get to the actual gifts of healing. It's a couple of things to think about. Number one, theological point. Physical sickness in the world today is a result of the fall of Adam. God did not create a sick world But he did create man with free will. And man chose to rebel. And when sin entered in, subsequently sickness and death entered into the equation. So physical sickness today, emotional sickness, spiritual sickness, is a result of the fall of Adam. And so all illness and disease are part of the outworking of the curse of that fall. And it is these things that eventually lead to physical death. Okay, very important theological point. All sickness is because of the fall of man, the curse that came upon man when he rebelled against God. Now, theological point number two, Jesus redeems us from the curse. Isn't that what Jesus Christ did upon the cross? Galatians says he became a curse for us and he redeems us from the curse. And this fact, this theological fact, was prophesied way back in Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus came in chapter 53. Where it says in verses 4 and 5, Surely our griefs, or it can and is translated pain, surely our pain he himself bore. And our sorrows, or it can, and is translated sickness, and our sickness he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well being fell upon him, and so by his scourging we are healed. It's very clear in the Bible, theologically speaking, that healing is a part of the atonement. Healing is a part of Jesus' work upon the cross. Now the New Testament applies it to both spiritual and physical healing. Peter applies it to spiritual healing, and Matthew applied it to physical healing. So in 1 Peter 2, verses 24 and 25, Peter said, And Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian for your souls. So Peter here applies that passage from. Isaiah 53, and he very clearly applies it in a spiritual context, doesn't he? That, that's a spiritual healing. We were straying, and our sins he took upon himself that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. A spiritual healing has taken place through the atonement and is possible in Jesus Christ. But also, the New Testament says, that physical healing is possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. It says in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. And when evening had come, they brought to Jesus many who were demon-possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. So Matthew applies it to physical healing. So it's indisputable it's very clear, theologically speaking, These three points. Number one, all sickness, spiritual, physical, mental is from the fall of man. It's because of the curse. Jesus redeems us from the curse through his cross. And within the atonement, the work of the cross, there is spiritual, physical, and of course, emotional healing available to the believer. But here's something else we need to take into consideration. We've been saved from sin, correct? Amen. From the penalty of sin. Yeah. We've been set free from the power of sin. And yet we sin. What's up with that? Well, our salvation is not yet complete. It's complete in the sense that it is done, telestai. But it is not complete in the sense that we have not yet experienced all that salvation holds for us. We have been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are being sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we will be glorified at the coming of our Lord. All of those are a part of salvation. It's all already done in the mind and the work of God to tell us that I paid in full. Ephesians 1 says we are already seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. And yet, experientially, practically, we've been justified. We are now being sanctified. We will be glorified. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. We will one day, amen, be saved from the presence of sin when the Lord comes. So our salvation is done, it's complete positionally. But practically, we're experiencing it in phases. The fullness of it is not experienced by any individual. Until we are with the Lord. Either in glory, because we die, or because the Lord comes and we meet him in the sky. Either way, is real cool with me. Yeah. Now the same is true with the healing of sicknesses. It's in the atonement. It is done to tell us I paid him full. By his stripes we were healed. It is done, positionally speaking. But in this lifetime, practically speaking, we don't get to always experience the fullness of God's salvific work. It won't be until we get our glorified bodies that we are absolutely, totally, and completely free from sickness and disease, physical, emotional, or otherwise. And so the Lord certainly does heal now in this moment today. But when we go to be with the Lord, When we get our glorified bodies at the rapture of the church, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and in 1 Corinthians 15, when we are translated in the twinkling of an eye, when we receive our glorified bodies and we enter into that phase of the kingdom, well then it's all done. No more sickness. No more disease. No more dying. In fact, doesn't it say in Revelation 21 that God himself will tabernacle among his people and that he will wipe away every tear And there will be no more sickness. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be no more mourning. But occasionally, though that is a completion of our salvation, occasionally in the here and now, the Lord gives us foretastes or down payments on the completion of salvation and that He will heal us physically in the here and now. God is always able to, to heal us. He's always able. But theologically speaking, God does not always heal us in the here and now. If He always healed, as some people believe, some people believe and, and teach vehemently that it is always God's will that every Christian is always healed. Well, that's, I, I, I appreciate the sentiment of that. I think it's a misunderstanding of God's salvific plan as it unfolds in stages. But... You see, it's nonsensical. Who would then ever die? If it was always God's will for all Christians to be healed at all times, we would never die. We would never go to glory. But we will die. The Bible says it's appointed for man to die once. And then the judgment comes. So... God is always able to heal and we should always ask him to do, but he doesn't always heal in this lifetime. It's not always his will to heal in this lifetime. For example, the apostle Paul, the apostle Paul had some malady uh, unknown to us. We can only speculate. And for 2000 years, Bible scholars have speculated. I won't belabor it here, but he had some sort of malady and he asked the Lord to heal him on multiple occasions, no doubt, as you read through Paul's epistles, it's very clear that he asked for prayer frequently. We can be sure that Paul would have asked other people to pray for him, and there would have been people in the church that he knew, "Wow, gifts of healings works through this person. I want them to pray for me." Paul asked the Lord to heal him. The Lord said, "No, my grace is sufficient for you." And it was a messenger from Satan to buffet his body to keep him humble. If it was God's will to heal at all times, why not the Apostle Paul at that time? Oftentimes those people would say, well, you know, people aren't healed today because they lack faith. I want to go on record today to say that to to, to attribute somebody not being healed to a failure in their faith is a very cruel theology. God is faithful even when we're faithless. We are to have faith. And we are to ask believing. But our God is a wonderfully kind God. And he's a balanced God. And to say to somebody, you're now dying of cancer because your faith wasn't good enough. Well, you know what? That's just not good theology. Paul wanted to be healed. I'm absolutely certain. Paul, who had seen the risen Lord on the road to Damascus, would have had the faith to been healed. It was not God's will to heal him. What about Timothy his little buddy, the guy that he discipled, his younger pastor friend. You know, Timothy had some sort of stomach ailment. Certainly he would have requested prayer from people in the uh, church that were gifted with gifts of faith and the effective miracles and gifts of healing. Certainly would have asked Paul the apostle to pray for him, certainly would have asked himself. And in the final analysis in 1 Timothy 5:23, Paul writes to him and says, "Well, Timothy, for your stomach, you're just going to have to drink a little wine." Which was kind of a common remedy in the day for a lot of things. Timothy I'm sorry the Lord's not healing you of this thing and so use a medicine and wine was the medicine that was believed to help that ailment at the time. You've got an upset stomach you're going to have to drink a little wine. He didn't say to you Timothy you've only had the faith. And you know Paul was not afraid to set people straight. (laughs) He had no problem doing that. If the problem would have been Timothy's faith Paul would have told him so at that moment. But what did Paul say? you're going to have to use a little bit of medicine. The Lord's chosen not to heal you and there's no condemnation then in using some medicine for some relief. What about Epaphroditus, who we read about in Philippians chapter two, was sick almost to the point of death before the Lord had mercy on him. What about Trophimus, who was so sick that in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, I had to leave him behind. He was on a missionary trip with Paul. He was doing the work of God and the great work of God. He got so sick, Paul said, I had to leave him behind. God didn't heal him. It wasn't God's will to heal Trophimus. You see, it's not always God's will to heal in this lifetime. In glory, we will all be healed. Amen? Sometimes in this lifetime, we are healed and we have a foretaste and a down payment, and that's awesome. And then inevitably, the question comes up, well, why isn't everybody healed? I don't know the answer for that in every instance. God's ways are higher than our ways. There's some things we're just not going to understand what did he have to say to the, Paul, Paul the Apostle who had the greatest revelation of any man in the history of the world? Paul, don't worry about it. My grace is sufficient for you. I do know this. It takes faith to trust the Lord when you're sick. I would venture to say, having ministered to a lot of sick people, having prayed in my ministry for hundreds of people, and having seen hundreds of people not been healed, I would have to say from my observation that sometimes it takes more faith to trust the Lord in sickness than it does to trust the Lord to heal you. It says for those that are in that sort of plight in 1 Peter, therefore let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. You're suffering according to the will of God. It's tough, I know. This is God's will for your life at this time. It's a difficult circumstance. He hasn't chosen to heal you. What do you do? You entrust your soul to a faithful creator and you do what's right before the Lord. I do know this, that sometimes God doesn't heal because his purposes are accomplished in our affliction. There's no questioning that. Paul says in in, uh, Romans chapter five, we exalt in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And James said in James chapter 1 that we rejoice in all sorts of trials, all sorts of trials. Some like to say, well, that one, it includes sickness. I'm sorry. He said all sorts of trials. And I know that the psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes, Lord. He said, there's things that I never would have learned unless I had been sick and weak and afflicted. That's absolutely true of the Christian life. Psalm 119, verse 67, the psalmist says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. (laughs) There's certain lessons that the Christian learns in places of weakness, in places of, of humility, in places of desperation, in places of brokenness. And the Lord says, I dwell in a high and lofty place and yet I am near to the brokenhearted. And he meets us in our places of brokenness. And to say that because God chose not to heal at that time that it was an abandonment on his part or a failure on your part, that's just not good theology. He's a very kind God. And as I said, if it was always God's will to heal, then nobody would ever die as long as they had the faith to be healed or somebody on their behalf had the faith to be healed. It just doesn't make sense. Sometimes God doesn't heal. And what do we do when God doesn't heal us? We entrust our souls to a faithful creator, to a loving father. We stand firm on Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We can stand firm on that. All things together for good, not most things, not some things. God works all things together for good for those who are his. And we're obedient to 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, In all circumstances give faith, or give thanks, excuse me. In all circumstances give thanks. If you're well, if you're sick. And the last thing that I think we do when, when it's apparent that we've been asking God to heal us and He doesn't, is it's wise to take stock of our life. Because it's clear in the New Testament and the Old Testament that sometimes sickness is caused by sin. in fact in in first corinthians chapter 11 they were doing communion wrong it's a whole nother theological discussion we'll have sometime but they were making a party out of it and they, they weren't celebrating the lord they were getting drunk at communion and they weren't waiting for other people to come in and participate in the meal and and paul wrote to them and said because you guys are doing communion wrong some of you are weak and sick and some of you have died Their sin caused sickness. Now, on a practical level, we know that. You sin enough, man, you go out and party enough, you're going to get sick, you know what I mean? You live that sort of lifestyle, it just deteriorates your body. We know intuitively, practically, physically, don't we? Don't we? That sin causes sickness. But sometimes there's a sin in our life. And as a chastening, God then causes us to be sick. Or we bring ourselves under some demonic influence because we've walked away from the Lord and into some sinful situation and we've gotten sick. So it's wise to take occasion then to ask the Lord Lord, is there any habitual sin in my life that's opened me up to some sort of sickness? Is there anything you're trying to tell me in this sickness? Is there any demonic influence in my life? We need to ask the Lord about that. Now, remember. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when the Lord speaks, it's not going to be condemning. When Satan speaks, it's going to be condemning. Don't let him condemn you. When the Lord speaks, it's going to be convicting, which doesn't mean it makes you feel bad. We we apply wrong things to that word. It means it convinces you that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and say, yes, my son, yes, my daughter. I've been trying to get your attention. And so sometimes sin causes sickness. And, and that's why, you know, when the paralytic was lowered down through the roof, the first thing Jesus said to him is because of your friends, your sins have been forgiven and then he healed them. There's another occasion where there's a sick guy and the disciples came and said, who sinned Jesus, this guy or his parents that he's sick. And Jesus said, nobody sinned because of his sickness. It wasn't because of sickness. So sometimes in the Bible, sickness causes or sin causes sickness. Sometimes in the Bible, sickness is just because we live in a fallen world and you just have a cold. You just do. Or something worse. But, but it's wonderful to always ask the Lord about it. Right? Because a lot of times today, God does heal. And it says here in 1 Corinthians 12 that there's something called gifts of healings. Now that's how it is literally in the Greek. It's plural, both words. Gifts of of healings in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. It's plural. The gifts of healings are for the supernatural curing of injuries, handicaps, and diseases without the aid of natural means or human skills. They are the manifestations of the Holy Spirit working through compassionate human channels to the person in need. Now, because of the plurality of the gift here that is chosen by the Holy Spirit, gifts of healings, We deduce from that that it's not a single gift that is always possessed. In other words, it's not like the gift of teaching, that you you always have the gift of teaching, or it's not like the gift of mercy, that you always have the gift of mercy. It's not like that it's kind of like the word of wisdom and word of knowledge. Remember when we talked about word of wisdom, word of knowledge, we we showed from scripture that each one that was revealed to somebody in scripture was a new work of God. It's not that if somebody at times exercised a gift of word of wisdom, that they were this overflowing fount of wisdom, and at all times they had wisdom for all things. That's not what it was. It was in the moment of need, God would give them a gift of the word of wisdom. Now it's the same thing, exegetically speaking, with gifts of healings. It is not a gift that one person possesses for all time. Each healing is an individual work of God. And so if we want to nitpick about it and be very proper, and I don't really, I'm not too into, I'm a little into nitpicking, but not too much. But if we want to kind of, you know, divide the hair, it, it wouldn't be proper for somebody to say, I have the gift of healing. It'd be more proper for them to say, the Lord often uses me as I pray for people to be healed by imparting gifts of healings. This is more theologically correct. I don't want to split hairs. Nor would we really call anybody a healer. That wouldn't be the right thing because there's only one healer. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the one that does the healing. But he uses human instruments, doesn't he? Throughout history, God chooses to work through people rather than independent of people. Now, somebody may have a ministry of healing, which means that gifts of healings frequently work through them. And so it might be proper to identify, hey, that person has a ministry of healing. I mean, just all the time, and there are people like this in the body of Christ, all the time they pray for people to get healed and they get healed. And there's really people where that happens. Now, healing is so potent because people want it so badly. There's nothing worse than being sick. It's such a bummer, and I'm the biggest baby when I get sick. I just ask my wife. She'll, she'll let you know. I just get a little, you know, sniffle. God, why don't you heal me crying out? And I've never really been sick, you know what I mean? But it's a bummer to be sick, to not feel well. It's amazing, isn't it, how sideways your body can go and how you just feel so often. So we can get really desperate for healing, and that's okay. Our God understands that. But because of that truth, because humanity gets so desperate for healing, and that's okay, Satan has taken advantage of many places. And there's just a lot of charlatans today. There just is. But you know what? There always has been. There always has been. There is false messiahs in Jesus' time. There is false prophets in the Old Testament. And Jesus said that our day, more than any other day in the history of the world, would be characterized by deception. So there's just a lot of mumbo jumbo out there. There's just a lot of stuff and we're going to have to deal with that until the Lord comes. We can deal with that. It's no big deal. Stick with the word and you'll be okay. Stick with the word. If somebody claims to be, you know, a minister of God and working for God, see how their life and what they do and what they teach lines up with the word of God and we'll be okay. We'll be able to navigate our way through it. So somebody may have a legitimate ministry of healing and that God often works gifts of healing through them. It also works oftentimes if somebody has the gift of faith. They're just able to believe God for huge things. And so God uses them a lot of times in praying for sick people. And so gifts of healings work a lot of time through people with uh, the gift of faith. But God is the only healer. He's the only one that we should call the healer. Even when a doctor stitches somebody up, it's God that causes our bodies to heal. He's the one that created them to be that way. And God loves to heal. Now, within the church age, he's given very uh, specific reasons for healing in the New Testament. Number one, the purpose that God heals in the church age is as a sign to authenticate the gospel message and to demonstrate that the kingdom has come. The kingdom has both come, and yet it is not yet. We haven't seen the fullness of the kingdom yet. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And yet the kingdom of God is not yet in its full expression when God establishes his full kingdom here on earth. But it is a sign that the kingdom of God has come and that people are healed by the power of God today. And it authenticates the gospel message and we see that happening in the book of Acts. Another purpose for healing is that it brings comfort to people which demonstrates in a tangible manner God's mercy and compassion. God loves to manifest for people's mercy and compassion. Another purpose for healing is that healing equips and helps people for service as physical impotence are removed. Somebody who, who needs to serve the Lord in a certain way or, or just get something done and so the Lord may heal them for that to help them along in that task. I experience this way more than you guys are aware of. I, since It's been interesting. Since this church started, I've been more sick than I've ever been uh, in my life, except for when I used to fake it in school, and then I was sick every Monday. But I, I, it's been weird the last few years, I've gotten sick quite a bit. Some of you that are close to me, you know that, and some of you have been concerned, and I've and, uh, been very kind about that, but there's a lot of times where I am horribly sick on a Sunday, and the Lord heals me to preach the word. I mean, just heals me, and you guys never knew I was sick. Other times I might have a little sniffle and I've got allergies. I'm allergic to cats and dogs and stuff like that and pretty much everything. Uh, Perfume. I'm allergic to a lot of perfume and cologne. But anyway, (laughs) so sometimes somebody hugged me before service and now I have the sniffles. But when I'm really sick, God heals me for the ministry that I've got to do that day. There's been times, you can ask my staff, they've seen me, when I've been laying backstage here on the couch, just literally delirious, just in a full-on sweat, rolling, just doing everything I can not to just puke my guts up backstage, just a high fever, I mean an absolute mess, unable to sit up. And Dominic will finish and he'll do the meet and greet and I'll walk out here and I will preach the word of God with power and authority. God just heals me for that moment of ministry. Now, and this is what's so funny to me, is that without exception, when I'm done, he lets me go back to being sick. <laughs> and uh, the Lord and I have had some conversations about that. <laughs> and I'm not sure exactly why that is, you know, he, I feel like sometimes he says, get over it kids, you're going to be sick for a couple days. But when you're serving me, and, and this happens frequently in my life. And that's part of the purpose for healing, is to enable God's people to do God's things. Another reason that uh, healing is prevalent in the church is because it provides an opportunity for God to be glorified. As people see physical evidence of His goodness, His love, His power, His wisdom, and His presence. So uh, as a sign to authenticate the gospel message and demonstrate the kingdom is calm, it brings comfort to God's people, it helps God's people to do God's work, and it provides an opportunity for God to be glorified in the midst of the human population. Now examples of healing, they're all over the Bible. They're all through the Old Testament, they're all through the Gospels, they're all through the book of Acts, they're all throughout the Bible, examples of God healing people. And my family, I've had some neat examples. And there's hundreds of stories I've heard from you guys and from others that I could uh, share. But in 1999, uh, my mom went in for a mammogram and she's given me permission to share this. And they found a lump. And uh, they're very concerned about the lump and say, we need to remove that. And so they scheduled a surgery for her to go in and have a mastectomy and whatever. I don't know what it's all called. Forgive me if I mess this stuff up, but to have stuff cut out, you know what I mean? And she asked her home group to pray. She said, I am not into this thing. I don't want to be cut up. I don't want to deal with this. I've got too much to do. My kids need my attention. Pray that God would heal me. So her home group prayed that God would heal her. And she went in for the day that she was supposed to have the surgery. And she demanded that they check again to see if the lump was there. And they checked again and it was gone. And they did the little thing, and they injected the dye, and they did all these things to see that it was there, and it was absolutely gone. And the doctor was in disbelief. And the doctor said, I think it was the nurse. I don't want to mess up the story. Thank you, mom. The nurse said, we're going to do the procedure anyway, just to be sure. And she said, no, you're not. God healed me. I'm going to the beach. (laughs) And she got up and walked out and went to the beach. And God just healed her. God just healed her. Another girl, she serves here every Sunday. You would all know her if I said her name. She came to the fellowship here. Or when it, We were the college ministry at Calvary Santa Barbara. And she had come out of a, a sexual promiscuous uh, lifestyle. And she had a, an STD. And it was a pretty gnarly one. And... Um, some people prayed for God to heal her. The doctor had said, you will have this for the rest of your life. This is incurable and God healed her. It's absolutely gone. And she stood up before the congregation one day and testified. I myself have been healed of the Lord. I had a, a chronic hip thing. My hip just did not always work and sometimes it was intense pain and uh, it, it kept me from doing things that I wanted to do and it became a danger because sometimes I'd be driving and my foot would be on the gas pedal and my hip would lock up and I couldn't get my foot off the gas pedal. And my parents took me to several specialists and all sorts of people. The last guy I went to was some big sports doctor. He's worked on like the Lakers and the Kings and all these other teams. And when I walked in there and he first examined me, he said, you don't worry, Britt. We will get to the end of this thing and we will get it solved. So after numerous CAT scans and MRIs and tests and money and this and that and the other, the last thing he said to me, the first thing was, don't worry, we'll get it solved. The last thing he said to me was, I have no idea what this is. I can't help you. Now, I had asked for healing many, many times. I had had pastors and elders anoint me with oil and pray for healing. I had prayed that the Lord to heal me. I had all sorts of people uh, pray for me all the time. I was in several different home groups. They all prayed for me. And it was just getting really bad, and it was just a bummer. And one day I was asleep, and my wife and I were married by this time. I had had it before we were married, but now we were married, and I was taking a nap in the middle of the day because I had been up all night because of the pain. I'm napping in the middle of the day and my wife just felt impressed upon her heart and she just came in and laid hands on my hip and she just prayed. And if you know my wife, she has an incredibly deep but simple faith. Lord, heal my man. And later on, I woke up and she said, how's your hip feel? I said, well, it feels great and it's just been healed by God since then. I've never had a single problem since then. You know, and who knows why the Lord does it when he does it. You know, so many times before I'd asked him to do it and he hadn't done it. All all of a sudden the Lord did. You know, the Lord had never healed my hip. I'd still be cool with Jesus. But he did. He's just really kind. He did. Someday I'll have a sickness that the Lord won't heal. And I'll die and I'll go to be with him. I'm okay with that. You know, that's part of the reality of this life. But it's neat in this lifetime when the Lord heals. Now, the New Testament reveals a few common methods uh, used for praying for healing. The first one is the laying on of hands. Jesus in the Gospels did all sorts of weird things when he healed people. You know, he'd spit in the ground and he'd make a little spit mud souffle and he'd pack it on this guy's eyes and then he'd see. You know, and, and Jesus did it in various ways. But overwhelmingly, the main way that he healed people was through the laying on of hands. Overwhelming. That's the main way that he and the disciples did it. That's the primary biblical model that we see is through the laying on of hands. In fact, it says in Luke 4:40, and while the sun was setting, all who had any sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus and laying his hands on every one of them, he was healing them. So that was Jesus' normal methodology. Everyone that was brought to him, generally he laid his hands on them. It was just how the power of God was imparted to that person. It was a means of grace, if you will. And so in the church today, it says uh, that we can do the same thing, lay on of hands. And we see that with the early church. Now, another way is the anointing with oil, which seems to be another means of grace or, or a symbol really of the power of the Holy Spirit and mark 6 12 through 13 it says and the disciples went out and preached that men should repent and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing with them so the anointing of oil seems to be a methodology that god has prescribed and uses it's for the church today james chapter 5 verse 13 through 17 Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders uh, elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, they will be forgiven him. There we see a link sometimes between sin and sickness. And that sometimes for the sickness to be healed, the sins have to be forgiven or dealt with or repented of. Verse 16 says, we we can all engage in this. Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. By the way, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it didn't rain on the earth for three years and six months. He prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. So the laying on of hands, the anointing of oil are normal things that we see God using in the New Testament. And the final thing that I'll mention about that is that faith is required. Now, I know what I said earlier. That sometimes people get healed and people say, well, it was your faith. Your faith wasn't good enough and that's why God didn't heal you. That's not the gist of it. Jesus said, if you have got just a faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved, and it's going to be moved. It just means we've got to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I believe you. It doesn't mean mustering up some giant faith or working up some emotion or doing this or that or the other. It just means, Lord, I believe in you. And sometimes in the Gospels, the faith of the sick person is mentioned. We see that in Luke 8 and in Luke 17, that the person who was sick and healed, the Lord said, your faith has made you well. Okay, they had faith. They believed the Lord for it, and so the Lord healed them. But other times, someone else had faith on behalf of the sick person. That's another reason why you can't say to the person, you're not healed because of your lack of faith. Well, wait a minute. Let's have faith on behalf of them. Isn't that what happened? Um, When the four tore off the roof and lowered down the paralytic, Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. And then he healed them. Isn't that what it said in the passage we just read of James 5.15? It said, if anyone's sick, bring him to the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, they will anoint him with oil, and the prayer offered in faith will heal him. So the elders of the church have faith on the sick person's behalf. In Matthew 15:28, the the Canaanite woman had faith on behalf of her daughter to be healed. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, your faith is great, be it done to you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. It wasn't her daughter's faith, it was a mama's faith. Isn't that good to know, mom? In Matthew 8, the centurion had faith for his servant. Now when Jesus heard this, the man's faith, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very hour. So faith is required. We can't come to the Lord and say, Lord, I just don't believe you. But if you're gonna, you, know, you want to do something, do something. But I'm not really buying it. The Bible says, let that man expect that he will receive nothing from the Lord. James chapter 1. Don't expect anything from the Lord. But if you just have simple faith, Lord, I believe you can do it. I trust you if you do it. I trust you if you don't do it. That's faith. And oftentimes I think the greater faith is displayed when God doesn't do what we want him to do. Some people assert this, and I'm incredibly insulted by this. Some people say this, that it's a horrible faith destroying statement at the end of a prayer for the sick to say, if it be your will, God, some people say you should never pray that, that that is faith destroying, that nobody will ever get prayed. Lord, heal him in Jesus name. That's a great prayer. It's also a great prayer. Lord, heal him. If it be your will in Jesus' name. But there's a lot of people generally uh, of the Pentecostal ilk that would say that's a horrible thing to pray. You never say if it be your will that that statement destroys faith. That's ridiculous. First of all, we do have scriptural warrant for praying if it be thy will. For example, Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed is thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, you pray, God, your will be done. How could somebody say that it's a faith-destroying statement to say, God, if it's your will? Furthermore, did not our Lord in the garden of Gethsemane say, if there's any other way that humanity can be saved, Lord, let's do that. But nevertheless, Lord, Thy will be done. If Jesus prayed that way and Jesus taught that we ought to pray that way, then it's good enough for me. So, I, you know, come on. Praying, God, if it be Your will, does not destroy faith. Rather, I would suggest that it is a beautiful expression of fuller faith. It expresses at the end of your request, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I believe you're sovereign. Lord, I submit myself to your will. The purpose of of prayer is not to change God's will. It does move God's hand. But you're not going to get God to change his mind and all his wisdom in that sense. It's a wonderful prayer of faith to say, Lord, if it be your will, heal this person. Now here's the last thing that we'll mention because this always comes up, always comes up. And this is the last thing. What about the use of medicine? What is the relationship between prayer for healing and the use of medicine and the skill of the physician? Well, let me say this. There is certainly nothing inherently wrong with using available medicines. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The Lord made whatever was necessary to make medicine on this earth. In fact, I would say that when medicine is available and we refuse it in a case where it might put us or others in danger, then it seems that we are wrongly forcing a test upon God. The perfect analogy is where Satan tempted Jesus, took him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said, Jesus, throw yourself down. And Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, there were stairs from the top of the temple down to the temple court. And when stairs are available to humanity and humanity decides to, in lieu of the stairway, throw oneself off the top of the roof, that's an unnecessary test of God. That's not an expression of faith. That's an assertion of pride. Seeking to force the hand of God to perform the miraculous at your moment. Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So to refuse the use of effective medicine when it is available and insist that God perform a miracle of healing at that moment is very similar to that situation with Jesus on the on the roof there when he said, you shall not put the Lord your God to your test. Now, having said that, let's balance it. Of course, I would also say that it's wrong to rely solely on doctors rather than to seek the Lord. I believe that God uses medicine. I believe that God uses doctors. And I believe that God heals, either directly or through those things. But I think it's a failure on the part of the Christian when the Christian just does not seek the Lord and goes immediately to medicine. If I were out dirt biking with you, and and, and this has happened before, And, and we were dirt biking together, and you fell down, and you broke your arm, I would immediately pray for God to heal it. And I believe that God can, and God might. If God didn't, I'm going to take you to the doctor. I'm going to get you some medicine. I'm going to get you a cast. And I don't think that there's any sin in that. Seek first the kingdom of God we sought the Lord first, but, but to not seek the Lord at all and to put your faith in physicians, well, I would say that's wrong. For example, Second Chronicles 16, verses 12 and 13. And in the 39th year of his reign, King Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians alone. So Asa slept with his fathers. He died, having died in the 41st year of his reign. So we want to just seek first the Lord. And I believe that oftentimes the Lord will work in conjunction with physicians and medicine. In fact, we see that in Scripture with Hezekiah in Second Kings 20, verses 5 through 7. Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life. By the way, All healing is temporary. All healing is temporary. You're going to die eventually. The Lord said, I'm going to heal you. It's just going to last for 15 years. And he healed in response to prayer. And then he says, And I will deliver you in the city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend the city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now look, then Isaiah the prophet said, Take a cake of figs, which was the, uh, the medicinal remedy of the time, and they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Here we see that the will of God was God's healing working with provided medicinal supplements. Interesting, isn't it? Our God is so awesome. He can heal all by himself. He could heal with medicine. He can heal with the help of physicians. It could be any combination thereof. Ultimately, God does all the healing. He could heal because of your faith or with the littleness of your faith. He could heal on behalf of you with somebody else's faith. Our God is very big and it's silly to just put him in a little box. And sometimes there's no appropriate medicinal uh, remedy available or, or medicine simply does not work. They can't do anything about it. We need to know at that time that God can heal when everything else fails. And we see that in the Gospels. In Luke 8, and a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his cloak And immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. That's cool, huh? So let's just go into a time of seeing what the Lord might want to do. We'll have some pastors over here and some prayer team members, elders over there, and you guys can pray for one another, and maybe the Lord uses you frequently to pray, and you can pray for people, and see what the Lord might want to do tonight and maybe he'll give us some prophetic words or maybe we'll just worship the Lord. Whatever he wants to do. Probably cool to start with repentance, you know. (laughs) That's always a good place for me to start. Just repent before the Lord a little bit and if you go over there, they'll lay hands on you, they'll anoint you with oil and they'll offer up a prayer of faith. I think God will heal some people. Emotionally, spiritually, And physically, God is our healer. Amen? Amen. Thank you for these wonderful truths, Lord. And thank you for you, Jesus. You are so sweet and wonderful and awesome. God, we're broken in every way imaginable. We are the broken, but you are the healer. We're broken because of our own sin, because of the fallenness of man, whatever it is. Sometimes we're just sick and broken down but you're the healer in all things. So we want to enter now before the throne of grace. And we want to invite you, Holy Spirit, to come right now in a fresh way into the service. You've been here all along. But in a fresh way, Holy Spirit, that you would come and administer the gifts through your people. We give you free reign here tonight. We just happen to be talking about healing. Lord, you don't have to heal anybody tonight. We trust you, Lord. If you want to heal because of your compassion tonight, that's wonderful. We'll give you all the glory. If you don't, we give you all the glory still. We're just going to allow you to be God in this place, to be high and exalted.